This episode is brought to you by Laura Lee Smith. And if you listen to this podcast, you've heard me do this ad before, and you will continue to hear me do this ad because I believe in what Laura Lee does. Plain and simple, she gets people into their dream home. Maybe you need a roof over your head to keep the rain away, and that's important, but you'd like some granite countertops, maybe a tile kitchen and some wood floors or carpet or whatever your heart desires, whatever you can imagine inside and underneath that roof. Laura Lee can find it, she can get it for you at the price that you need, and she can even find you a lender that fits your personality. So please don't delay. Listen to what I'm saying and give Laura Lee a call or text her at any time and find out why she's the best realtor in the Bryan College Station, Texas and surrounding area. Her number is 979-218-2315. That's 979-218-2315. Okay. This episode was a wonderful conversation with Jessica McCann. Go follow her on Instagram on Fundraise Hire. She is doing some great work. I learned and took away so much from this conversation. So thank you, Jessica, for being on the show. And without any further delay, I'm going to let her explain what she does and her story and how to be a leader. Please enjoy Jessica McCann. Are you there, Jessica? I am. All right. We're, we're going. Um, thanks for doing this. Um, I guess kind of, I talked to you from, I, from Kim, I got your number and it was just a, Hey, you should have this person on the podcast. And I didn't know anything Uh about you. And then we had that conversation on the phone, you know, briefly while, while we were both working, I guess. And, um, you were into some really interesting things and some really cool stuff. So, I want you to explain a little bit about the the Covey Foundation, how you got into it, you know, the whole story, the background about it, about moving to Florida and all that good stuff. Yeah, so thank you, first of all, so much for having me. Um, this is I love Kim, and, and so she loves you, so this is a great connection to have made. Um, so my story kind of, this story that I'm, the journey that I'm currently on starts back um, when I was finishing my PhD, and I was studying leadership development, adult learning, how we change our behavior, and I got introduced to Franklin Covey, which is a company that has deep roots in behavior change, how to become more effective, how to create habits of success that will elevate people's lives, and they had started doing some things with organizations a long, long time ago, and so I got involved with that practice helping organizations change behavior on large scale, helping them become more effective around some of their most important priorities and doing a variety of change management things, learning and training type programs. And and so I love that. So I got into doing that. And along the way, I, I started thinking, you know what, there are a lot of nonprofit organizations that don't have access to some of this stuff. And I had had a background at the Texas A&M Foundation doing fundraising. And back then I was learning the fundamentals of how to ask for money, how to create programs where donors can give and make an impact that will outlive themselves. And loved that and thought, gosh, these two worlds could really come together and be something really cool. And tried to make that happen in my own organization, but Eventually, what I decided to do was to answer the call that I had identified myself and create my own company that would help nonprofit leaders who 
you know, may or may not be in leadership development programs or have ever had access to the kinds of development resources that um, for-profit companies typically have. And I wanted to step into that space and say, okay, nonprofit leaders are usually super passionate about what they do. They tend to be overworked. They're doing a lot with few resources. And they deserve to have the opportunity to um, grow their skills, to be able to um, have coaching and development and the kinds of feedback loops that we sometimes take for granted in the corporate world. Um, and so, so that's what I did. So I started Fundraise Hire to really help nonprofit leaders and fundraisers refill their own well of knowledge and learning and you know, to borrow one of the habits from Dr. Covey to sharpen their own saw. So that's what I do at Fundraise Hire. Okay. And you started that after you moved to Florida, correct? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I moved to Florida. didn't know anybody here but my fiance and uh, had a lot of time on my hands. And so that's when I, I started the company. Right on. So you, your fiance was here going to school, I guess, uh, at A&M. Is that where you, you, you two met? No, actually, that story is, is a funny. Oh, it's funny to me. But we actually met um, back in 2008 at a valet stand. So I was waiting for my car at a valet. He was walking down the street. He's from New York. He had a really cute accent. And we struck <laughs> up a conversation. <laughs> And, you know, we ended up exchanging numbers and going on a coffee date the next day. And it was then that coffee date that he told me he was in Houston for training to move abroad. And, you know, for me, type A personality, very driven, and know what I want. I said, okay, well, not that the date's over. And we, we kind of kept in touch over the years, but our second date wasn't until, like, 10 years later. He had moved abroad. We had become friends. Then when he moved back, uh, we reconnected when he was in Houston. So I was living in College Station, working for the A&M Foundation and going to school. And he is a marine engineer, and he was in Houston. Wow. So your second date's 10 years later. Yes. Yep. <laughs> did you, and uh, I may have missed it, but did you say you stay in contact the whole time? Yeah, we did, but kind of, you know, kind of distantly on Facebook, chat kind of thing. So we ended up, after that first date, there was, I don't know if anybody remembers, but there was a hurricane that came through, Hurricane Ike came through Houston, and I happened to get stranded, and I needed a ride somewhere, and he and I hadn't talked in a few weeks, but I called him to see if any chance he could help me, and he did help me. And so he just got, you know, seared into my brain as this really nice guy that helped a girl, you know, that didn't go on a second date with him, uh, <laughs> helped me in a pinch. And so, yeah, I developed a great respect for him. And then we kind of maintained this friendship over time. And it was never anything, you know, weird or romantic or we were just kind of, he was interesting and we would keep in touch. And then, you know, 10 years later, something changed. <laughs> I love stories like that. It's so crazy you met him at a valet stand and then 10 years later your second date and then picking up that that's just I, I that stuff is it's so cool how the universe or whatever you want to you know whatever you believe in brings people together for whatever reason 
you know, like on their path. But kind of like, I guess, your thing. You bounced from the AM Foundation into this, the the Franklin Covey. I, I keep wanting to call it the Stephen Covey just because I want to say it after the book. I keep doing that right. to everybody. Like, hey, I'm having this person on there with the Stephen Covey Foundation or whatever. <laughs> I keep doing that. Over right. Over. Yeah, Franklin Covey. Yeah. But, it used to be the, the Stephen Covey Leadership Foundation, so you're not technically incorrect, but yeah. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, you, you go from that to this, and then, and then you go into the nonprofit thing. And I love the fact that you just jump right into it because that sort of stuff gets me like all fired up that you, you've you see something that you want to do that you're having fun doing and you feel like it's your calling. And then you just jump right into this nonprofit thing and want to help people. Now, have you, have you already started um, helping these nonprofits while you're working with them? And yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I do. So, you know, I do a couple of different things. Um, and it kind of depends on where the nonprofit is in terms of their goals and, the, you know, the leader themselves. So I do a variety of things from coaching, which is like, you know, leadership coaching, effectiveness coaching, all of those kinds of things. The leaders that want to work with me for coaching tend to be, um, they have big goals, sometimes really aggressive types of campaigns that they're trying to do, or they're, you know, they love the mission of their organization, but they're starting to get some signs of burnout they're tired they're overworked they don't really know what that next level is going to look like for them to you know to keep pushing forward so I work with those kinds of leaders who need some coaching who need some diversity of thought they need somebody pushing back on their ideas and helping them come up with better solutions um, better kinds of ideas to, to execute on I also do training so Uh, One of the great things about having been at the Texas A&M Foundation is I had access to lots of training. So learned how to ask for money, the mechanics of fundraising, you know, all those things that we sometimes take for granted, like, you know, what are some of the elements that should be in any conversation where you're going to ask for a gift? You know, there's some very specific things that you should cover in that conversation. And a lot of small organizations are raising money and they're doing pretty well, but it's it could be more sophisticated. It could be a more professional kind of um, career for somebody if they had a little bit of investment in their own knowledge and skills. So I do work with nonprofit organizations to help them train on the fundraising side of things or, you know, how to do different kinds of campaigns so, and things like that. So if I like, I'm a nonprofit and I'm coming to you, what do I need to get to you for Like, do I give you what we're about? Our, pro- our business processes and then do you look at that and take some time and then come back with some solutions, ask questions? Do you fly out to their facility wherever they are and work with the people? How, how does that process work? Yeah, so it depends. You know, like most things, I mean, yeah, don't you love that answer? It depends. <laughs> so, <laughs> it depends on some things like what the scope and scale of the nonprofit is. So I work with a lot of nonprofits that one of the reasons why they haven't engage somebody before is that they've got limited resources, limited budget. So, you know, their only choice is they have to work virtually. We're going to do, you know, virtual meetings, phone calls. We're going to talk through, you know, what certain things are. And then there are some that they've got a big project. They've got some budget to play with. And so they want me to come out and sit with them side by side um, 
and work through a problem together. But no matter, you know, the modality that we're meeting, whether it's online, in person, on the phone, no matter that, we're, we're definitely going to sit down and talk about their specific goals. So what exactly is it that they need to have happen? If they haven't really gotten to that pinpoint, this is my goal, then that's sort of session number one. Once we get what the end goal is, we can work back from there to decide, okay, so that's where we need to be in two years. You know, let's back that up. What do we need to be doing between now and then to be there? And then that sort of takes the shape of what our partnership will look like. So do you do you actually and, and on your leadership training stuff, which is really fascinating to me because leaders are from the top down, like top to the bottom, like everybody mm-hmm. is a leader in some sort of shape or form, whether by action or by thoughts or, you know, by actual leadership position, whatever it may be. So do you work through the whole team of people and what's that process like with like, how do you go through and and find weaknesses in the leadership part of it and then how do you fix those things oh that's such a great question and i love that you framed it up the way you did because i'm i agree with you 100 percent. there's a really specific difference when you say leader versus manager or supervisor so you know no matter what your position no matter where you are in an organization everybody has the ability to be a leader so i agree with you 100 percent, and i'm so glad You said that. And that's exactly the mindset that I take when I work with leaders. So in order to talk about um, what we might focus on to develop, I like to start with, you know, what what would they like things to be? So it can be as specific as a leader is struggling a particular measurable area. I mean, I'm just going to make an example. A fundraiser, a fundraising leader, for example, their team might not be making numbers that they need to make. And so, you know, we might talk about that, you know, what, what do they think is going on? What would they need to be able to do to support their team to raise more money? And then we'll design a plan around that. Sometimes it's really as simple as holding the team accountable. I mean, that's something that a lot of leaders, especially newer leaders or leaders who have great relationships with their team, they struggle with holding them accountable in a way that is courageous, but also compassionate and you know it's sort of serious but loving at the same time (laughs) yeah it's a it's a tough balance it's a really tough balance to be like you got to be their friend and you got to show them that you care and get their trust like a like almost like a family member but then at the same time you still have to be um i don't want to say authoritative but you have to be kind of a boss or you know you have to Mm -hmm. be able to to hold a standard of some sort um so that things are reached because if it gets too relaxed, people just go, eh, it's whatever. And then if it gets too strict, people go, man, I can't stand this micromanager crazy person. I know. Yeah, I know. And, and that's a balance every leader in any industry is trying to hit. I mean, every leader is trying to do that. And nonprofit leaders have a particular challenge with it because most people that get attracted to nonprofits are very heart-centered people. Yeah, so they really do live through the heart, and so in order to um, give somebody developmental feedback that might be perceived as critical feedback, can be really, really challenging for them. So we do a lot of work around sort of understanding that corrective feedback is loving, <laughs> 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 changing the mindset around that. Yeah. 
you know what I mean? So yeah. helping somebody get better and hit their goals and make a difference in the world is the most loving thing you can help them do. And sometimes that requires us to be um, coaches and correct behavior and that kind of thing. And so really, you know, we first always work on the mindset. So how are we thinking about it? Because sometimes we put in all kinds of our own judgment, our own fears, you know, all that stuff gets baked into what we think um, being a leader is about. And so we really kind of talk about the mindset, then it's the behavior. So once we're there that we understand if I love this person, I've got to give them this feedback then we practice, okay, how are you going to do that actually? And what are you going to say? You know, what's the intent? What are all the ways that they might react? Let's think about it from their perspective so that we can say it in a way that, um, you know, resonates with them and makes, you know, working through that whole process. So that's the second piece of it. I was going to, uh, that's, that's one thing that I've learned from being a manager and managing people and, and um, handling stuff is that you can't talk to every single every single person understands things in a different way, and so understanding your team and your employees and and how to communicate with them, and then how to communicate with your bosses as well, so that you can take some relief off the team, and uh, those sort of things are super important, and it, it's a it's a really tough thing to figure out sometimes, but learning how to read the people. Um, who you're around and how to deliver the message where it comes across as constructive, not as like I'm throwing the hammer down is super mm-hmm. important. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I think too, um, what you're saying about, you know, the different types of people. So there are really different types of people. One of, I think one of the simplest things that you can do just, I mean, this takes hardly, if you can determine whether a person likes data and evidence or if they like storytelling and emotions and connection, there's lots of other different kinds of types, but even just understanding those two differences will change the way that you talk about something. If you know that I like data and evidence, yeah, that can help you craft the message that's going to be you know, much receptive or received much better by me than than if you start with a story kind of a thing. So I, that to me is always the first um, fork in the road, if you will, for how to talk to different people. Like, do they like data or do they like words? Yes. So do they, do, with these nonprofits, and that is, I mean, that is, I've never heard that just to, before I get to this next thing that was on my mind because I go, like, I jump ahead of things all the time. Um, go ahead. Um, that is one of like one of the most interesting ways I've ever heard that put and it makes total sense in my head. The way you explained it and just so simple like that, data versus stories. I I'm gonna take that and remember that when I look at people now. Like, does this person like data and evidence and proof, or does this person like a story and can, can they visualize what I'm saying as I'm talking? Um, those mm-hmm. two things right there are gonna make like man, I can just already see in my head the huge difference of how I can do with people just learning that. Um, the next thing I was going to say is, and, and something that I thought about with the nonprofits is, are you dealing with a lot of volunteers? Yeah, a lot, a, a lot of cases we're dealing with volunteers. And in a lot of nonprofits, they really don't have a big staff that works there. Most of what they're doing is by volunteers. 
So that makes a really interesting dynamic because there's, you know, all kinds of things you can ask people to do when you're paying them money for their services. And then you've got a situation in nonprofits where a lot of times these people are doing it voluntarily. And so it really does challenge a leader to learn how to influence without having authority. So you have to be able to persuade without really having any consequence. Yeah, if, they're not afraid to be fired. <laughs> yes, if you can succeed, and this is one thing that that the reason I asked that question is because if you can succeed in leading some people who are volunteers, who and you can get them to change and to move and to do things and to really hustle, then I think you'll make it tenfold if you're dealing with paid info, employees because you figured out truly how to communicate with these people who they don't have to be there. And if you make them upset, they'll just not show up. So that's mm-hmm. there, there's nothing there but them wanting to give of their free time, which is the most precious thing that we have. So it, it it that right there, if you can learn how to, and you being somebody who can learn how to teach people how to deliver that message to somebody who is a volunteer and get them to perform is a mighty tall task. Yeah, it is. And you know what is that if you can master that, to your point exactly, if you can master that, what you can do for your paid employees is tenfold because every single person has effort that they bring to their job. And you've got some people that will bring the minimum viable effort. <laughs> you know, they'll do just enough to <laughs> keep the boss off yes. their back. Yes. <laughs> And everybody has this huge reserve of discretionary effort. So I can choose to bring my 110%. I can choose to bring my best self. And if you can learn how to unlock people's motivation and their inspiration for doing something so that they bring that discretionary effort, now you've got like gasoline on the fire. That's when really incredible things can happen. Yeah, unlocking that motivation, man. There's so and there's so many people that don't. You know, growing up owning a business, like growing up with my grandpa starting it and then my dad running it. You know, after that, me running the operation side. We just have it. I have it ingrained in me to work like I own the business. And so mm-hmm. I, even though I'm an employee of somebody, no matter where I've gone after that, I work like I own the business. I, I'll, I'll overwork. I mean, I'll do more than I, – I don't feel like I've done enough all the time. I mean, that's just the way I feel about when, when I do something. And so um, – but I had to take a step back at some point and realize that not everybody grew up in my situation and thinks the way I think and had to deal with the same things and saw what I saw. So they don't have the same motivation, the same experiences. And it's really tough for me to explain my side to them and for me to understand their side where, I mean, they're just here to get do a job, get a paycheck, go home, volunteering, whatever it is. Um, it, it's a really tough puzzle piece to fit together. Yeah, yeah, it is, and 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 that's why I have a job helping leaders figure that part out. <laughs> well, you found that's I guess that's part of my point, and I left it kind of weird towards you, but uh, on that on that comment, but it's I I love that you found a way to, you found a niche there that 
somebody needs to be able to train people in a nonprofit to be able to fit that puzzle piece together. But then mm-hmm. it can't like usually the only place you can find that sort of stuff is from big organizations and somebody who's well known that you pay a lot of money because it is a people can say what they want to. It's not motivational speaking. It's legitimately going in there and consulting and changing an attitude and atmosphere of something that's already been in place. And it's like, if you have a habit of smoking, how do you quit smoking? Mm, uh And so that's what you're doing. You're getting people to quit smoking, but in a business form. Yeah, and I, I I'm I love what you're saying because you know in some of my work I'm working with nonprofit leaders on themselves. You know they're trying to become better, more effective themselves, and so we all know how hard it is to either break a bad habit or start a good habit for ourselves. We never really want to. I mean, I have been trying for years to become a morning person, and you know jump out of bed really happy at 5 a.m. and that's just like it's a really hard habit to instill and I want to. So you kind of take that and then imagine leaders who are trying to change the behavior of other people, sometimes a lot of other people. That's, you know, exponentially harder, Uh, not impossible, but it's, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to change ourselves and it's really hard to help people change themselves. Yeah. I mean, and all the way down the line to somebody who, I mean, any person, like a teacher, you name it. Like in my head, I think you could work with just about anybody in any organization and teach them the, these fundamentals. Um, I'm just like think of how all these people can be benefit from going through something like this. And as far as like you do more than just leadership too. You do the fund like setting up fundraising. You have ideas on how to increase their business and how do you like. Where do you start with that? Do you, do you have like a set thing on paper? Do you look at how they run the stuff and then you come up with an idea or what, what's that process like? Yeah, so there's lots of different ways to raise money. Um, so, you know, some people raise money by asking for it face-to-face. Some organizations do things like mail-out campaigns or online giving or crowdfunding kinds of things or events. So there's tons of different ways to raise money. So what I do when an organization comes to me and they say, hey, you know, we need to raise more money. We've got this, you know, great opportunity to cure something and we need to hit this goal to make that happen. That's awesome. I mean, that's part of why, you know, to your point earlier when you said really anybody could benefit from this kind of coaching relationship, you're 100% correct. You know, part of why I do what I do is because I have such an excitement and passion for nonprofit causes. And having worked with nonprofit foundations for years, like, I mean, I just, my heart is so um, intent on serving those kinds of causes. So I love that. Um, so the first thing I, I do when someone comes to me with a big goal, they want to increase their fundraising, I, you know, the first thing I want to understand is, well, how are they fundraising? right now and how's that going um and then you know what would they like to do you know where are they looking to grow and then we build a plan around that so there's all kinds of um industry benchmarks around what you should be spending 
to what you bring in. There's all kinds of ratios. And usually what happens is organizations get a little bit out of whack on those ratios or they're wanting to break it to a new kind of fundraising that they haven't done before. So let's say they've been doing events and then now they say, you know, we want to try doing um, a phone call kind of a reach out. And so we'll help them put that together. And then, you know, one of my most exciting projects to work on is when an organization has finally gotten to the place where they can hire a full-time fundraiser or a full-time executive director who's going to be fundraising. And, you know, that's when we sort of can build from the ground up what they're going to do. Oh, gotcha. What what do you, what have you found that's the most effective when it comes to fundraising? Like, is it just social media, like reach outs and ads, or is it the mailing, the email, the, uh, like whatever it is, like whatever biggest bang for your buck, what have you found works the most? You know what? My answer really and truly is that it, what I found is your biggest thing for your buck has little to do with the channel. You know, there are some channels better than others for certain kinds of things, but the most important thing to get the biggest thing for your buck is to connect emotionally with your donor. Uh, one of the things that a lot of fundraisers and nonprofits get into a bad habit of, I, I believe, is that they will kind of showcase all the things that they do, you know, here's all the reasons why you should give, here's all the different places that we're making an impact. And that's really good information, but it's not as meaningful if it doesn't resonate with me, the donor. You know, if it doesn't pull on something that's my experience or I can't connect to it somehow, um, that is, you know, that's not going to be as powerful. One of my favorite examples of that is that there have been studies done where they show pictures, a bunch of different pictures that were on a campaign for fundraising. And, and the organization, it was a pretend organization, but the setup was that, you know, your money could help some number of children who were hungry. And so in one picture, it was, you know, your gift could help all these children had a big group of kids and it got smaller and smaller and smaller and you might be surprised that you would you be able to guess you know what was the most powerful number of people in the picture for people to give oh you mean like so if they give a small amount is that is that or just any amount no, it, was, it was just the picture it was the same it was the same dollar gift but it, different pictures, and one had, let's say, one had 100 kids in it, one had 50, one had 10, one had one. Oh, man. I, if I had to guess what what would win would be like the 10. So the one that people chose to get to the most is the picture that had one kid in it. Yeah, that makes and sense. That's where the, I would give my money. The whole, <laughs> yeah, the whole idea is that you can understand the story and the plight of one child. You know, you can kind of imagine that one child and what their day is like and what what your gift would help them do. So most nonprofits get locked into this mindset that, hey, the more the more people that we impact, the bigger our footprint, the better. And we want our donors to know that we're helping all these people. But what they miss out on is the fact that most donors, most people in general, can't really visualize that many stories and what you can really easily visualize is one story so it's more important to tell one really good story 
than to show that we help a thousand students or kids or dogs, you know, whatever your your thing is. Yeah. And I, that, well, I really... think, is a, I think that's more important than whether you're on social media or any other channel. Well, you've got to be able to bring that story to life on any of those channels anyway. Otherwise, it's going to be ineffective. And you're talking, I'm like, man, that's... How amazing is it? I so I'm I got this brand of coffee. Like I'm I decided to do a blend of coffee instead of t-shirts for the podcast as far as like reinvesting money in it and just to have fun because I love coffee. And they asked me to put some stuff on the back of the bag and the whole process and I'm going, "Well, um I I had this thing written out and then I go, "You know what's what do I like to see? what do I like to see? Like what grabs me?" And it's usually the story. And I just had a guy on the on the podcast uh, Monday, yesterday, no, beginning of the week, two days ago, whatever <laughs> it is, um, and he said the same thing. He does things, he uh, implements things in his business from the background story, like what really touched him, what really got to him, that feeling, that that emotion, and so and and then when you said it, I can remember my grandma. Uh, donating to that TV thing where you could, you know, donate to one child over in some other country mm-hmm. and you would support them. I'm like, that's where they get them. They, 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 it worked because they told the story of one person. They sent that picture to them and then they told them how that kid was benefiting from the dollars that they give. And then they feel like they're actually help. Their dollars are actually helping. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about some of the worst problems that exist out there, in our world, they're, they're so big, it's really hard to feel like your donation can even make a difference. But whenever yeah. you're talking about one kid, okay, I think I can make a difference for one child or one particular you know school or place. And so that's where the, that's where the power is. And I love what you were saying about the story and how your, your previous guest was talking about the power of stories. I mean, if you think about it, that is one of the things that make humans unique is that we share stories and from birth really from the beginning of our existence we've been a species that collects stories and so the more we can get back to those roots in in our businesses and our lives what we're doing i think the better i'm laughing because kim gets so frustrated with me sharing all my stories i share so everything's a story with me like i <laughs> i'm so the story and i describe every detail and she's like i lost you already like i have no idea where we're at and what you're doing and sometimes she just, she'll just be like i'm gonna be honest with you right now i'm totally lost and i <laughs> And well, I that's know going back to that. That's going back to that whole know your audience thing. But yeah, yeah. And I know that I'm just rambling. I'm just rambling. Like I, I know that I like. Oh yeah, I totally just lost that person because I told the longest story ever, and I didn't even get to my point yet. But I'm excited. Like this is really cool to me. <laughs> so um, it, it made me laugh when you started. <laughs> People love to tell stories. Like yes, I do. I do love to tell stories. But it's it is so some, true. Some though. people like some people like the hieroglyphics version on a cave wall. Some people like the novel. So you just yeah. got to know which kind of person you're talking to. And some people get comedy. Some people like drama. Um, they some That's people want right. details. Some people just want an overview. That's it. And it and absolutely. It's figuring out how to paint a picture like an artist. If you were 
paid to paint something for somebody that they liked. And you've got to figure out what their taste is because it's all subjective. Mm-hmm. So it, and that's yeah. what's interesting about your job is that you you're really working with a blank canvas and you're trying to figure out how to give them the painting that they want. So I, I mean, I like it. I like all the ins and outs of it and the 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 telling the story thing. I, it really does. I think in connecting with people like that, like by sharing stories back and forth, you think about how you connect with human beings on a, on, I'm thinking myself on, on a friendship level, on a real intimate level with somebody, you're sharing stories and you're telling things about yourself and being honest and transparent with those stories. And then that person shares their story with you and you relate and then you connect with the feelings from each other and it goes so on and so forth, like dealing from a one-on-one level to a big crowd level. And so uh, the benefit, like everybody's going to be more kind and happy and they're going to feel like they know people when, if you can deliver your message perfectly. Mm-hmm. And uh, so how do you, how do you deliver that you like your message to people like and how do you even go about going to these nonprofits and getting them to use your services or you know take a chance on using you do you give this stuff away for free at first is it how does that work yeah especially so i do a couple different things um especially when it comes to coaching because not a lot of people have ever had coaching and they don't really know what it is and they sort of assume that it's like consulting in the sense that you're going to tell me what to do <laughs> and that's not what coaching is at all. No. So coaching is, is really a partner who's going to help you think through whatever your situation is, come up with your own solutions to it. So um, sometimes people will say, you know, just tell me, tell me what you want me to do. And that's not really the point of coaching. You know, if you think even in the sports kind of a sense, the coach can't get out there and play the game, right? right? So there's a person on the sidelines. They have a different kind of perspective of what's happening on the field. And they're giving you feedback to help you correct and do your best that you can in your performance. And that's exactly what a professional coach does. So they're standing on the sidelines. They're watching. They're listening. They are, you know, trying to take in some different data points and information and then giving you feedback and a place to talk and react to the, the, a good coach will ask you really thought provoking questions that are hard for you to answer because they require you to dig really deep into your own you know, mind and thoughts and feelings and, and then come up with what you want to do because you've got to be the one that goes out and performs. The coach can't do it. So... That was a long-winded answer to say that for people that haven't had that kind of relationship with a professional coach, I do the first session complimentary to get them an experience. And I feel like the best way to decide if coaching is for you is to try it. (laughs) And if you think at that point, at the end of that first call, if you say, you know what, I can really see that this would help me. Then let's talk about, you know, how to partner professionally. But, yeah, so I do that first where I let people have an experience with coaching. When it comes to the consulting side of the business and the training part, 
all those discovery conversations, you know, when we talk about what's the situation, what's going on, what would we you know, need to do to help, all of that is part of the discovery, the fact-finding. And then once there's a solution to be made, you know, once there's a recommendation, then then that's where we talk about, okay, what does the partnership look like from um, from a investment perspective? So the way I, I think is that you really can't decide if you want to do business with somebody unless you trust them and you know that you're going to get good quality work and you know that you gel. And so all of those conversations I do as part of, you know, the dance period to decide whether or not we want to work together. Because let's face it, I mean, I don't want to take on a client that's not aligned with my values and skills and who I don't believe that I can help. So, so yeah, it's kind of a two-way um, tryout. And then if at the end of those conversations, if we decide we want to work together, then that's great. You're going to get tremendous value. I'm going to get something in return, and we're going to both be very happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and the the coaching thing. Oh my gosh, it's so true. That 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 is such a true 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 statement as far as um, being coached myself and sports. I think sports teaches you a lot of things. Organize organized anything. Boy Scouts, you name it. It. Um, you know, they can't tie the knot for you. You've got to tie the knot. They're teaching you how to tie the knot yourself. Um, that's the that's the whole point of coaching. Coaching is not like if they were the better athlete, they'd be out there. It's really, yeah, it's really like delivering that message. Hey, this is how you do it the best. I've watched this and this is where you can improve. So let's work on that step by step. But you ultimately have to take that step to do it. And that that's like, it's one of the toughest things because if you have somebody and, and I'm just putting myself in a position of being a coach over somebody. So if I'm trying to coach them and I need them to move a certain way, I can't make them. And all they want to do is say, and the, the people in the business world that you're dealing with are saying, well, just tell me what to do. Like, no, learn, let's learn how to do it. Let's learn how to do it. Yeah, and that's where, you know, to tie back to what we were talking about with leaders earlier about, you know, that feedback piece. So one of the traps that we all fall into is the easy route of being told what to do. And the problem with doing that and the problem with hiring somebody like me to tell you what to do is that the next time this issue comes up, you're going to need me again because I didn't help you develop the skill to fix the problem yourself. And as leaders, we do that all the time, where your team, your team member comes to you with an issue, you make the decision as a leader, you solve the problem, you send them back out the door. Well, unfortunately, you've just trained them to need you and depend on you. And so the next time that problem comes up, guess what? They're back in your office yeah. <laughs> asking you that question. Yep. And so I think a good hallmark, I think there's two hallmarks of a great coach. The first one is that the coach has a coach. <laughs> you know, I don't trust anybody who doesn't take their own medicine. <laughs> that is perfect. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Don't trust anybody who doesn't practice what they preach. And so a good coach has a coach. Um, the second thing I would say is that a good coach helps you not need them. <laughs> Forever, You know, they, they help you get to that next level and be self-sustaining 
And then the time when you come back to the coach is when, okay, I've plateaued again. Now I need, I need to move up again. I need to coach again. So I don't, I don't like to um, take on clients that just sort of want us to be friends and talk all the time, you know, with no, so when I take on a client, we've got a goal, I'm helping you get to that goal. And then you're going to go forward on your own until you need to climb that next mountain. And then I'm right back there with you. But, you know, I think any anytime a good coach will help you become self-sustaining, that's the sign of a good coach. I could not agree more with that. My And that's one thing that I, I try to, um, the, the owner of the company I work for now actually, no, was it them? I, no, hold on. That wasn't them. It was, I forgot who I heard this from, but they, they told me, they said, do you know, you, you know what, you know, how I look at an effective leader in my company? And I, 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 I took the bait and I said, well, how? And he goes, that when, if they're gone, we don't miss a beat. Then they did their mm-hmm. they did their job. They did their job in training enough people that if they go out, that this thing operates. And that really is. I mean, I think it's so true because you can If that one person gets sick, they get ill, they're out, they quit. What happens if something major happens? Then the whole organization, all these people's lives are just affected because they don't know what to do. So by being more abundant with your knowledge and telling people and sharing those things, you allow that to actually grow. It's kind of funny. It's like the the reason I asked you if you give stuff away for free and giving the coaching away for free is because I've noticed a pattern in a lot of um, businesses and any organization, anything, anything that becomes successful, a lot of stuff they give away for free. And then it comes back to them later in some way, shape, or form. And you're like, how do they make money? They're giving things away for free. I got to charge for everything. It's like, no, the abundance thing brings things back to you somehow in some big circle. It is so true. It, it's not only, I, I absolutely believe 100% in the abundance mentality and just how that will come back around to you. But I also believe that when you are really... You know, me as a business owner, when I am 100% focused on adding value and blessing my clients and blessing the people that call me, I'm honored when people call me and want to explore working together. And I want to give value and I want I want them to get something out of that conversation, whether or not we choose to work together. And I think when you have that kind of mentality and you are laser focused on helping and adding value and you know, giving out blessings, you can't help but get it back. <laughs> yeah, that's it, it is true. It, it's so funny how it works out every single time like that. Um, I mean, even when I was even back when I was fundraising full time, I'd asked a donor one time, big donor who'd given millions of dollars to charity. I said, you know, why do you keep giving? I mean, you've done so much. Why do you keep doing it? And and the donor looked me square in the eye and said, in full seriousness, he said. You know what? Every time I give it away, it comes back to me. And so I just keep getting blessed with more and more money to give away. Yeah, and it's and it's that part of stuck with me so strong. And it's part of like you you almost have to do it genuinely too. You know, he like that per that donor probably genuinely believed in what he was giving to or, or him or her was giving Absolutely. to. So it's yeah. it's it's a if you do things genuinely 
because you care and you want to share and help people out. Like in your situation, you want to help people out. The nonprofits want to help people out. Um, you keep giving in a way, like genuine way that want to help people. They, Some people look at that as losing. And I've had to even change my mentality to a bigger level to go, I've noticed YouTube stars. They put things out for free. Uh, podcast people. It's free. Everything is free out there. And it's it's amazing that people have become successful by giving their product away. Mm-hmm. And that that's yeah. so so like your nonprofit has to become successful by giving their product away as well. Yeah. So I, I mean, I that's that's the strategic bet that I'm making. That if I'm 100% focused on serving and adding value, that it will come back. And, and people will see that in my heart and want to work with me. So, you know, we all have to make, I try not to make too many guesses, but I make lots of strategic bets. <laughs> and that's one of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and it's genuine, so it comes off, and not everybody's going to do that. Now, have you ever said no, like, have you ever said no to a client that comes and reaches out to you? Yeah, I have, for, for a couple different reasons. I've said no to clients that have unrealistic expectations, and... Um, or that sort of want something that I know I can't deliver. So I refuse to take a client if I can't serve you and get you what you want. Um, and, I, and that's just an integrity thing. You know, for me, I can't, I can't wholeheartedly accept a fee if, if I know that I can't deliver what you want or need. So that's less common. The more common reason that I have turned down clients is if there's just an misalignment of value. You know, I can't, or values, I should say. So I, I can't do anything that goes against um, my personal values. And, or if I know that, you know, I'm not in alignment with their values, then, then we're not going, it's not going to be a long-term kind of relationship. They're not going to be a very strong testimonial for me because that's going to be revealed over time. And so that's probably the harder one to say no to, Um at the beginning you know when you're first starting out because yeah. man when you're first starting a business like any paying client seems like a really good idea <laughs> yes yes it's really hard to turn down somebody willing to work with you and pay you for your services but you know my experience is that when you take on clients that you know you're not going to work well with or that just, you know, there's signs early on that like, oh my gosh, this is not going to go well. You, you pay for it tenfold. You know, you end up losing money on that deal because of the time and effort and stress and, and problems that you end up having to deal with. So, you know, I say it should be easy to work with clients when you're, when you're aligned properly. So well, the work is hard, but working with the client should be easy. Yeah. And, and. I, I love that you don't work with people that don't align with your values because that's basically your name out there. And if you look like you align with them you and, and you go like, it's so important to have yourself and, and your values up above a dollar. Yeah. It really is. And it's really, really hard when you're talking about supporting yourself to say no to that dollar from something that you don't believe is right on one side or the other. Whether it be an organization that doesn't 
you know, that is supporting things that you don't necessarily support or whatever that may be. Maybe the people want you to do some things that you don't believe are morally correct. Whatever they're, the thing you don't align with, if you say no to that, that's another thing that's, man, I, I it's a tough thing to do. Yeah. So I really like have a lot of respect for people who can step back as business people, especially starting out because it's so hard to go. It, it, gonna, it is so hard. Yeah. And I'm going to turn away your dollar because I don't believe in you. That It really did. I, I have a lot of respect for that. Thank you. And, and I, for me, it's just it can't be any other way just because you know, once you start to erode that foundation that you have for yourself as a person, it just it never stops. Right. And then before you know it, and I think that, you know, that things that are not aligned with my values, I work with lots of causes that I don't necessarily have a personal attachment to. Um, sure. You know, I've got things that I'm really attached to because they I've had experiences or, you know, exposures that make me really care about that cause. I work with lots of causes that I think are great, but that I just don't, you know, don't personally resonate with me. You know, where I talk about misalignment of values is like, you know, like I could never um, take a client who wanted to start a campaign to make smoking cool again. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. So <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. It's like just really against what I believe is healthy and beneficial and, you know, it's going to make us all live better, stronger lives. Yeah, if they know something like, is harmful, but they're going to hide it to promote their, their, I mean, it may have, they may have, it may have a beneficial factor, but what if it's harmful and they want to squash something and not, not put out there that it is harmful. And, and so like that sort of thing happens all the time from food to chemicals to you name it. People, you know, you hear stories and read things about how people do that. And it's just, it's mind boggling to me how that like people like that, Again, that circle came back and it came back to bite them in a super stressful kind of way that, yeah, you got the dollars you wanted, but are you happy with what you've done, you know, and can you live with yourself? Yeah. And I would say too, probably the misalignment happens less, it's, it's very rare that it's kind of a cause related misalignment. It's more often a misalignment in the fact that, you know, the leader doesn't really want to do the work. You know, after the first conversation, they're kind of paying lip service to this. And maybe somebody's told them they need to develop, but they don't really care about Uh. developing. Those are the kinds of misalignments that are much more common. Or if it's like, you know, we we want our fundraiser, we we want you to whip our fundraisers into shape. Yeah. (laughs) You know, well, if there's not, you know, if we don't approach it from a really healthy developmental kind of mindset, then I don't really, you know, I'm not here to literally whip your fundraisers into shape so <laughs> yeah you can't run the fundraiser like you can't do that like i'm not gonna no no yeah. <laughs> yeah so those kinds of misalignments are much more common than like the cause related ones that's an, yeah that's you another tough one like recognizing when somebody's just paying you lip service like you know what you're paying me to be here and to coach you but you really aren't taking in anything that i'm saying so we just need to part ways because mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, and it's, it's it's not uncommon that it takes a little bit of time. I mean, even in my own coaching, there are things that I will say. Like I, I commit to doing this. I want to do this. 
the deadline comes and goes, I didn't do it. There's all kinds of excuses and reasons why. Sure. That's natural. That's part of the relationship. It's it's really that intent to, you know, are you really trying to get better? We're, we're all fully realizing that changing your behavior is hard. Yes. <laughs> but are you really committed to this process? And if you aren't, then, you know, it's, it's a waste of both of our time. Yeah, that's re- recognizing the effort. It's It, it doesn't matter. You, I mean, you can fall a hundred times trying to change a habit, you know, because it's mm-hmm. a habit. I mean, you've had it there for however long you've had it there, but trying an effort and really like your, your intent, intent is almost everything, you know, I, almost, yeah. I say almost cause there are certain cases, but I mean, intent and what you intend, your intentions were mean a lot. I mean, if your intentions are in the right place, you're going to go down the right path. You're going to be trying to do what's right. And then you're going to really try to get better. And you may not get better. And it may take you a thousand tries to get better. But if you keep going, um, and I have that struggle. That's why I'm saying this in this manner is that I have have that struggle. When you said that, it's like, man, I, I struggle with it all the time. Is I get habits and then I go right back to that habit. Even though in my mind I'm telling myself, hey, Keep this on. Keep this in your head. Keep this in your head. Uh, you need to do it this way, you know. And you need to do this next time this situation comes up, whether it be from personal side or work side. I mean, it's a struggle on everywhere for me. And so that yeah. that intent and like my intention is always to be better. And I I I'm like it's almost like a boss doesn't even have to criticize me because I'm harder on myself, but. I also know it's coming and I know I've made somebody mad. So I've got to, I've got to learn how to take, you know, I've got to take that, but I still know when I mess up and it's like, man, my intention was not to do that. And I did it again. Okay. Let's relook at it, go at it again and try again. And so that's some, something I struggle with is that, but my intention is there and that's where I know that I'm on the right track. Oh, this is one of my favorite things to talk about because, I agree with you 100% that your intent is probably one of the most important things in anything. You know, your relationship, your communication, your role as a leader or um, a supervisor. Intent is so important. And I think here's the tricky thing, though. We judge ourselves based on our intent, and we judge other people on their behavior. Uh-huh. There not, you go. Not their intent. Wow. That's like, that's, man, perfectly said. Perfectly said. That couldn't be more and true. That, and therein lies, you know, a lot of the, the conflict that we end up finding ourselves in is that, you know, we we give ourselves a lot of grace when it comes to our intent, and we sometimes forget to extend that grace to other people because their intent wasn't to screw up either. <laughs> but it happens. You know what I mean? So I think what you're saying is so important for us to remember not only to forgive ourselves a little bit quicker, but also to forgive others because yes, their intent is usually positive as well. Yes. And, and you know what I've tried to tell myself to do and through like a bunch of books and I get, I get the luxury of driving around everywhere. If you want to say it's a luxury of driving a lot of miles and then I get to listen, I, I figured one day I was like, I'm going to fill my time with audiobooks and podcasts because I want to do something productive with my time that I've got to spend on the road. So, um, audiobooks and 
through all that, I, I start to realize I need to, before I deal with somebody or say something, I need to do my best to put myself in their shoes and look at it from the other side. So look at it from the other side of the mirror. And how does that, like, why would they have done that? What were they, what were their feelings? How would I feel if I was being, you know, told this in return to what I did on this side and so on and so forth. And that's kind of how I come up with a lot of my, I don't, I don't always do it. I mean, I fail a lot of times at doing that, but, um, it, you couldn't, you couldn't be, cause I know of a lot of times where I didn't think like that and I grew up and I have a lot of, I don't want to say regrets the word, but actually went back and apologized to people that I was like, Hey, I totally mistreated you in this situation. Yeah. It takes, takes a big person to do that. So <laughs> I don't know how big a person I am, but it's, it, you know, the, that intention thing and what you said and forgiving yourself is, um, it's a big deal to me. Like it means a lot. Um, I think it means a lot on how, if you can bring a little bit of joy to somebody's life by forgiving them, making it easier on them, allowing them to work better through a mistake. Um, it's just, it's crazy important. I mean, I hold that high on the list and how I want to treat people. And I just want, I want, it's like, I've heard, I've heard a couple people say this and there's some, I'm some of the biggest fans of them. It's like every, I want everybody to win. Like, I want everybody to win. I think everybody can win, and I want everybody to win. And I think it's sad when people don't. Mm-hmm. And so I try to, I try to put that in perspective. And, um, and so your yours is kind of the same thing with that. I mean, you kind of want everybody to win, and you want them to use your service and make them successful. And then you don't want to be talked about. You want them to be talked about. Absolutely. Yeah, that is, and I think I, I learned that. So fundraisers are really good about that. Um, development professionals, because you're, they're never the people in the spotlight. You always are elevating the donor, the the person who received the gift. I mean, that you're always a background player. And I learned, I've learned to find a lot of joy in being a background player. I love that. I love being a connector of people. And and letting them shine. So if if you can be a person that cultivates a joy in letting others shine, man, life can be so rich. <laughs> yes, it can. Well, okay, we've we've been doing this for an hour. So oh my gosh, wow, time flies. Yeah, it's right in an hour, and I know I say that a lot of time, but these things do fly. The conversation can get good, and then it just keeps going. And I could I could do like two and three hour podcasts, you know. And, talking to people just because I love doing it and especially with something interesting is what we're talking about but go ahead and tell everybody the name of your company again where they can find you and the information um, and let everybody know all that good stuff yeah so my company is called Fundraise Hire and you can find me at fundraisehire.com I'm also on LinkedIn my name is Jessica McCann on LinkedIn I'm on Instagram with Fundraise Hire, um, and or you can email me directly, Jay McCann, and that's M C C A N N at fundraisehire.com. I welcome. I would love to talk to anybody who has an interest, whether it's a leader who's, um, you know, facing down a big goal. Maybe it's somebody who's been in the role for a while. They're tired. They're burned out. They're they're pretty worried about how they're going to deliver next year above and beyond what they've done this year. 
or they've got a new team and they're trying to come together and do something amazing, but they're bringing together new people, new volunteers, new board members, any of those things. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to um, hear your story and, you know, explore whether or not a relationship in coaching makes sense. Well, I hope you get tons of business. I hope somebody from this podcast listens to this and calls you and says, I need to use your service. That would make me so happy. <laughs> It would make me so happy if somebody did that because you, uh, what, I think what you're doing is great. I'm fascinated by it. Um, I think the work you're doing and what you chose to do um, is wonderful. So I really appreciate this, Jessica, for you being on. It was my pleasure, truly, Aaron. Thank you so much for the opportunity and thanks for what you do, too. Now you're making me blush. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jessica. <laughs>